What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Jenny Evans on today's episode. Jenny, we're just going to jump right into it. I'm going to throw it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Okay. Well, hi. Um, I have been married to my husband for six years. We've been together for 11 years. So we started dating right after we graduated high school. And um, like I said, got married six, for, six years ago in 2013 always knew that we wanted to start a family. Um, and I was really wanting to start a family right away. I had graduated college and, um, we both had started, um, jobs in our field careers in our field and we were ready to start a family. Um, I kind of knew that it was going to be hard because I had always known that I had PCOS from about the time I was, I think 15 ish. We went to the doctor because I was having really crazy periods, um, where I would go months without bleeding and then I'd have one and it would bleed for like weeks on end. And so, um, went to the doctor and found out it was PCOS. So I kind of had a feeling it was going to be hard to get pregnant. Um, I remember like a year before we actually got married, I remember there was one evening, like just very vividly, like having a bad period and just like having this, like, I don't know, epiphany maybe that I'm like, this is going to be really hard because we want to have kids. And this is not going to really be conducive to that. And so um, anyway, so flash forward to getting married and wanting to start trying right away. Um, We tried for about, I think like six months and nothing happened. So I called the doctor and got in. And of course, their first thought, their first things were, well, we probably need to get you on birth control to try to regulate your periods. And it was very frustrating because obviously that's the opposite of what you want to hear when you want to get pregnant. So we tried the birth, I tried the birth control um, on and off and um, still nothing was happening. So it was like, they'd have me on it for a month or two. And then they'd want me to get off and see if that would like I don't know, jump my cycles into working normally. And it wasn't working. So finally we tried um, Clomid for the first time. And that was probably about a year into trying. And um, the Clomid did not make me ovulate. They did the test to see, um, they test your progesterone on like cycle day 24 or something like that. And it um, was coming back and my progesterone was like really low. So that indicated that ovulation was not happening. So um, in the meantime, Um, I'm a teacher. And so I hadn't gotten a teaching job yet. I had just graduated um, about a year before. And I interviewed for a position um, in another state and um, I ended up getting it. And so we, um, long story short, ended up moving across the country um, about a year after we were married. It was about a year and a couple months after we were married. So we moved there in 2014. um, And we were still, I, my first kind of priority was like finding a doctor there to kind of start working with. Um, and I made an appointment with an, uh, a gynecologist and, um, talked about my things and we did, um, my issues and we did an HSG and she did all the blood work. And, um, that was the first time that, um, I wasn't the only one tested. They wanted to test my husband as well to see if there's something going on with him. And, 
we came to find out that he was totally fine. Um, and it was kind of weird because it was a relief, but in a way it was really kind of, I don't know, it was like awkward, weird to say, but it was kind of, um, disappointing because then it was like, I knew it was my fault, you know, and I kind of had, I obviously knew that, but it kind of just confirmed that it was on me. So that was really kind of a weird, um, feeling. Um, so anyways, the doctor kind of took me as far as we could go and, um, did a little bit more of the Clomid and it wasn't working. So she suggested trying an endocrinologist. And so she referred me to a reproductive endocrinologist and, I went to him and it was kind of weird. He just seemed like, kind of like he was brushing me off. Like, so I went in and he kind of inter- like asked me all the questions and um, kind of just acted like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, we're just gonna throw, throw some more Clomid at you and you're gonna ovulate. And he didn't really even run any tests, which in like hindsight was like probably not a good sign. <laughs> and so he put me on, um, Oh, I'm trying to think how many milligrams it was, but it was like the highest dose of Clomid that like you can go. It was like three tablets. And, um, in the past I'd only done like one and then I tried two tablets. So he had me on like three tablets at a day. And, um, a few weeks later it was the middle of the night and I started to get cramps. And so I thought, okay, well my period is coming. This didn't work. And so I was like really frustrated. And then I got one really sharp cramp. And it like wouldn't go away. It was like a nonstop sharp pain. And I was like, well, this is kind of strange. This is not normal. And so I went and found my husband and um, I was just telling him like, this really hurts. And he's like, is it like an emergency situation? Should we go to the hospital? And I said, no, it's probably just bad cramps, which I was used to having pretty uncomfortable periods. And so um, I said, no, let's not worry about it. It'll probably pass. Well, two days later, it hadn't passed. And it was like, it would like dull and then sharpen again, but it would never go away completely. And this whole time I'm thinking, this is like going to be a really rough period because I'm having these awful cramps. And I even remember sitting through, I had parent teacher conferences. They were my first parent teacher conferences ever. (laughs) I'm sitting there like doubled over in my chair, trying to sit up straight and, you know, just make it through. And I remember that night I got home and we were sitting down and um, I was saying how I just really wasn't feeling well and my husband was being really sweet. And so he said, I'll go get the, you know, things ready for bed. I'll get you a glass of water and, you know, get your pillows fluffed and all of that while I was sitting there. And so he disappeared. And about a minute later, it hurt so bad that like, I, like I had like tunnel vision and I couldn't get up. And so, you know, I called to him and said, I'm really sorry that I didn't take you up on the offer to go to the hospital two days ago, but now it's an emergency and we need to go. So we went to the emergency room and, um, we got in there and I felt so embarrassed. I was like, these are just really bad period cramps. I don't know why I'm in here. (laughs) Like, this is just silly. And, um, they got me in and it was like a really small emergency room and, um, it's like a really tiny town. And so they got me in and the doctor came in and he was very, like, he had no bedside manner at all. He was like, kind of looking at me like, you're probably being overdramatic. You're probably having a bad, bad menstrual cramps. Like, why are you here? And I was sitting there and like, it was like every time I would move, it felt like someone was stabbing me in the ab, like in the abdomen with a knife. And it hurt so bad that I finally like in front of the doctor, like I threw up. (laughs) I just like all over the floor. And he was like, okay. And so he said, well, let's, you know, and I told him I was doing the Clomid. He said, there's like this 1% chance he goes, because this never really happens. He's like, but there's a 1% chance that you could be hemorrhaging and 
it could be internal bleeding. He's like, but it's probably not. So he's like, let's do a, um, I think a CT scan and see what's going on. So they wheeled me back and did that. And about five minutes after they brought me back to the room, the doctor came in and he goes, okay. He goes, so this is what I was telling you about was probably not the case. This is definitely the case. And we aren't equipped to deal with it here. So we're going to have to transfer you to a bigger hospital. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. And like, I always like laugh about it because I'm like, I don't have the kind of luck that would win the lottery. I have the kind of luck that like, <laughs> all these <laughs> like 1% chance things would happen. That you'd win the lottery and then it would get like, the ticket would get like sniped from your hand or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so of course my husband, I still like, this is kind of just, I laugh about it. So like, you know, obviously when you don't feel well, you don't look great. I was like in oversized, like I was in like, I think I think it was my husband's t-shirt and pajama pants. And like, I just, you know, I had been growing up. I was in pain. They're wheeling me into an ambulance. And my husband pulls out his like cell phone and takes a picture. He's like, you never know if you'll ever be in an ambulance. Again. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so we still, we still laugh about that today. He still has that picture. <laughs> like, oh, oh my gosh. Funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we got to the other hospital and, um, long story short, I had a, um, like, so basically what happens is the Clomid makes you produce the, um, eggs and these, well, it's in cysts basically. And inside the cysts are the eggs and mine, I had a cyst that ruptured. And so, so it was causing internal bleeding. So I was like, and I kind of laugh about it. So I'm like, if anyone ever complains, says women shouldn't complain about periods. I'm like, I was internally bleeding and I was blaming it on a period. Like they're no joke. <laughs> so anyway, so they had to go in and they did a laparoscopic emergency surgery, um, took care of the bleeding and everything. And the doctor who did it wanted to know who my doctor was who prescribed me that Clomid. And when I told her, she was like so mad at him and she didn't know him, but she's like, I'm going to find out, you know, about him and things like that, because he should not have put you on that high of a dose. And he never monitored what was going on. She's like, if you, you know, it's common practice that if you do a certain dose, like you need to be monitoring so that this doesn't happen. So that was kind of like just a crazy thing that happened. Um, and, uh, so she wanted to see, start seeing me. So I saw her like a couple of times. Um, and she was just a, so she is a specialist, but she wasn't a, a reproductive, um, endocrinologist. She was more of just like, she was a gynecologist and she, um, did surgery. She performed the surgeries. And so, um, in the meantime, I was trying to find a fertility specialist to go see. And we did find a fertility specialist and we went and we talked and he started talking about like pulling out the big guns, like, um, doing IUI, IVF and all that. And it was like really overwhelming. And, um, then he started talking about like, the costs. And that is like, it's crazy expensive. And so we knew like, we're going to have to save up some money before we do this. And so that's what we started doing. We started like saving up the money so that we could start doing the um, big fertility treatments. And in that time that we were saving up money, my husband randomly got a phone call from a place that he had worked at, at private previously uh, before we had moved. And they wanted him to come in for a job interview because they had thought of him for the position. And at first we weren't going to do it, but it was just one of those things where it just kept getting like, this doesn't make sense not to take this opportunity. Um, and this was in like, this was in 2007. So we had lived in Colorado for a couple of years at this point. And in 2007, um, he decided to take the job and it was really hard because like I said, I teach 
So he moved in March because he had to be there for the job. And I didn't leave until the end of the school year. So we were separated for a few months. And that was really like, that was really tough. Um, because I was very frustrated with the fact that we're trying to get pregnant. It's been, I don't know, like four years at this point. And now we're going to be separated for three months. We're not getting anywhere with fertility treatments. And it was just like really a frustrating time. Um, but while he was gone, I decided I was going to be proactive and um, call a um, specialist in, back in our state that we were moving to and um, see if I could get in. And it was kind of nice. It was nice the way that it worked out because they couldn't get me in until like July of that summer. And it was March when I called them. So I wasn't going to be moving home until May. So it was like, it kind of had worked out that, um, you know, I was on the waiting list. So when I got home, we got settled and then we could go to the doctor. And I, we went and met this doctor and I instantly loved him. He just was like, I don't know. It was like one of those things where it's like, he just, you could tell he knew what he was doing. He had a really great way of talking about things and he didn't sugarcoat things either. Um, and the very, like, so like we went in and we met and I told him kind of the whole history and he asked if he, if I minded him taking a look at my ovaries. So we went in and did the, um, ultrasound and, um, he was looking at it and he was like, oh my gosh, he's like, you have some severely polycystic ovaries. He's like, has anyone ever told you that? And I said, well, I know I have PCOS, but no one's ever said like, oh, it's severe. And he, it was the first time after like, and I've had dozens of ultrasounds and all these appointments and things. And no one had ever really like explained anything to me. They just kept throwing out like jargon. And I didn't really know what much, many of what much of it meant. Sorry, I'm getting tongue tied. Um, so it was really like, it was refreshing to like have someone like just stop and explain things to me. And like he showed me, they call it a string of pearls because I had so many cysts on my ovaries. It literally looked like a string of pearls. And um, so afterwards, after he did the ultrasound, we went back in the room and he um, sat down and he said, so here's what I'm thinking because none of the um, other treatments had worked or made me ovulate. He said that the best course of action would be to perform an ovarian di diathermy, as I think how it's pronounced. I always botch it when I say it. And basically what that is, is where they literally go in and drill holes in your ovaries. And it was kind of funny because the way he explained it was like, I like, it's like the most bizarre like analogy, but he said with like apple trees, what they'll do sometimes if they've stopped producing fruit is they shock them and the shock or the jolt to them makes them like work again. Like it starts making them produce fruit again. He said, so basically the same principles apply with your ovaries. If we go in and we drill these holes, it should shock your ovaries into wanting to cooperate. And so it, was like really scary and terrifying, but also I was very desperate at this point because nothing was working. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so I, in October, um, of 2000, let me think. So yeah, it was 2017, October of 2017, we did the ovarian diathermy and oh my God, it hurt so bad. <laughs> he talked about, he was like some people, because it was an outpatient procedure. So like you go in and they, you know, they put you under and they do it. And then you wake up and once you're feeling well enough, you can go home. He said some people, you know, handle it really well and, you know, are kind of up on their feet again the next day. And so, like I said, I teach.
teach. And so I was, it was in the middle of the school year. So I took off two days. I took off the day to do it and one day to recover. And then I had the weekend and I was going to go back Monday and it knocked me out so bad. Like my, it was so painful. It was like, and then like the part that's like the worst is like they use gas to kind of inflate your belly so they can do the procedures and things. And then the gas has to escape your body. And I thought I was having a heart attack, like, because the gas was rising so badly, like it was terrible. (laughs) So I ended up going back to school that Monday and like, I couldn't get, I was like teaching from my chair. Like I couldn't even stand up. And so then I took like two more days off. And so the school I was teaching at, like, this was my first year teaching there. And I was like, stressing out because I was like already like I only have so many sick days it's my first year and I am blowing through them and I it it, well it gets kind of crazier because this whole year I ended up and I'll get back to it but I ended up blowing through like all my sick days and personal days in my first year and it was terrible because I thought like my boss was going to be like what are you doing like who did I hire it was awful and luckily she was so amazing and really um made it a lot easier but anyway so the good news was the ovarian diaphragm worked because we tried letrozole a month later. Instead of Clomid, um, my doctor wanted to try letrozole because um, it does the same job as Clomid without the tr- crazy side effects. And I was kind of like, well, why have I not heard of this before? Because the Clomid was terrible. Um, so we tried the letrozole and then they did the blood work and it had worked and I ovulated, um, but I did not get pregnant. So they wanted me to try it again. So I tried it the next month. Again, it worked. I ovulated, but I didn't get pregnant. And at that point, um, the doctor um, was talking to me. He said, you know, we've, we've been through a lot. You've been through a lot. Like at this point, what do you think about just doing IVF? We're going to increase your chances. You've been trying for, you know, five years, four and a half, five years. Like, let's just cut to the chase. And so I talked to my husband about it and we had been saving and we felt like it was the right choice. So we decided to move forward with the IVF. Um, And it was like one of the, like, it was a really, really, really difficult process because um, you have all the shots that you have, like, my husband was such a trooper. He had to do all these shots to me because I could not do them to myself. And like, he just like made it, I knew it was hard for him to do it, but he just was like, he like never let me know it was hard. So it was really awesome that he like stepped up like that. And it was hard because these doctor's appointments were an hour away. So you had to go back and forth for a lot of monitoring and things through the whole IVF proceed, like process. And so I was like having to drive, I'd have to get up in the morning, take the earliest appointment at seven. So I'd have to drive there at six, be there at seven, come back and like get to straight to work and pick up my students and start the day. And so it was like really stressful. And, um, leading up to like when we went for our retrieval to get the eggs, um, like I kind of call this like our Murphy's law time because, um, anything that could have gone wrong started to go wrong. So everything was looking really good. And my, I I had like a decent amount of, um, eggs on the ultrasound. So things were looking good. And then it was like the day that we were supposed to go for the retrievals when everything kind of started going downhill. Like it started with like, there was this big ice storm coming and we actually had to travel to, um, two and a half hours for the procedure because our doctor, um, does all of his procedures out of another city. And so we had to like leave the day before so we could get a hotel room the night before. So we weren't late to the procedure because the timing is really important. Um, and so there was that big ice storm and then we got in, they did the procedure and 
afterwards, they, it was an, and I should have known because of the first, the ovarian diaphragm that I didn't handle it well, but they were telling me the egg retrieval was going to be no big deal. I'd be totally fine back to work the next day if I wanted to. And, um, so they did the egg retrieval and then, um, and this is really funny, but I found out there was a cracker barrel down the road and I was like, I want like, cause you can't eat before. So I'm like, I want a cracker barrel breakfast. Like, let's go. And so afterwards, like I got out of surgery and I don't know if it was just because I was like groggy and like on pain meds, but I felt fine. So we went to this cracker barrel and we sat down and the waitress came over, took our drink orders and left. And I was like, all of a sudden I said, I need to go use the restroom. So I got up and went to the bathroom and I got so dizzy. I was like kind of just standing there holding the wall. And I called my husband from the bathroom and I was like, we've got to go. I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. I can't do this. I'm like, I'm dizzy. I feel sick. This is terrible. So my husband was like, okay, I'll meet you in the like lobby and like Cracker Barrel's lobby is like, have like the gift shop, you know, and all that. So he meets me out there and I'm standing there and this is so embarrassing. I was like standing there and all of a sudden we started walking and all of a sudden I said, we need to stop because I'm going to pass out. Like I had to like sit, like I got tunnel vision and started feeling like I was going to pass out. I had to like sit down on the ground in the middle of Cracker Barrel. All these people are like staring at me like, is she okay? My poor husband's just standing there like, she's good. She just had surgery. <laughs> and they're probably all like crazy judging me at this point. <laughs> um, so needless to say, we did not get breakfast. We got in the car and we went home. Um, and so we went home and um, again, it was a really kind of a tough recovery for me. And um, I started like feeling like, really swollen and uncomfortable and come to find out I ended up getting um, OHSS which is um, another one of those like it doesn't happen very often but can happen things so it's like your it's ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome so basically my ovaries swelled up really big and it was super uncomfortable and it like hurt to go to the bathroom and um you could just like my I was super blue I looked like I was pregnant because I was so bloated um it was just awful. Um, and then we did a fresh transfer. So after they had done the retrieval, you go back five days later to put the, um, the embryos in. Um, we had gotten four total healthy embryos in the end is what we ended up with. Um, and so when we the five days later, our way there, we got pulled over for <laughs> our uh, sticker on our license plate was a we didn't realize it. So we got pulled over. So it was just like running late for that. So it was like that everything that could go wrong, wrong with this whole like first time around. So we, we ended up, luckily the police officer was really nice and we just kind of got a warning and they sent us on our way. And then we got there and then they, um, they implanted one embryo because we want, the goal was, you know, one healthy baby. And so we did the one embryo and then, um, you wait for 10 days and then you go in for the blood work. So in those 10 days, this was like in, like it was the end of December, beginning of January is when we did this whole like round. And I got super sick while we were waiting to see if it worked. Like I got like an awful cold. It was miserable. And, um, we went in for the blood work on the 10 days and it came back that it was negative. It didn't work. I was disappointed, but I just knew it didn't work. Like everything about it was just, it was like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And I just knew like this was not our time. So, um, 
we decided that I needed to let my ovaries calm down before we did anything else. So we waited a couple of months and then we went ahead and did a second transfer in March of 2018. And this time we did two embryos um, because the doctor said, you know, one embryo, it didn't work. Sometimes we can increase the odds with two. If that's something that you're okay with, let's do that. I said, sure, let's do it. So we did the two embryos that time and everything about this transfer just was amazing. Like, so we did the transfer. It was the day after my husband's birthday. And so we traveled to the city the night before and like we went on a date night and had a lot of fun. And it was just like something about like in the air, it just felt different. Like we were really like positive and we were really um, hopeful about this time around. Um, we went, we got the two implanted. Um, it was like a really lighthearted atmosphere. Like, I don't know, like it was just really great. Um, it felt right. And, um, I just kind of, I knew it worked. Like, I don't know, like it was kind of weird. Like I just remember we left that day and obviously like, you don't know right away. I just remember feeling like, I think this worked, like this is going to be the one it's going to stick. And, um, the first time we had, um, done a, the fresh embryo transfer, I didn't test early. I let them do the blood test. And this time I was like, I just know this worked. I'm going to take a test because it's got to be positive. And so I took a pregnancy test and it was like super positive and I took it early and I was like, oh my gosh, for it being this early, like, this is crazy. I'm like, what if it's twins? Cause we implanted two of them and it was kind of exciting. Um, and I went in and I got the beta levels drawn and everything was like rising. It was like perfect. Like everything was just going really well. And, um, I was like around at around five weeks, I started like getting really nauseated and like feel like morning sickness. Um, I had like some, some of the other symptoms like sore boobs and really tired and all of that. And then, um, so it was like, like everything was going really well. And then a Saturday morning I woke up from this dream and in my dream, I was like, I was bleeding. It was like, I knew I was pregnant and I was bleeding. And in my dream, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, you know, don't be bleeding. And I woke up and I remember just feeling so like, oh, thank God it was just a dream. And then I went to the bathroom because I just woken up, went to the bathroom and there was blood. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I still dreaming? Like, it was just, it was really surreal. I was like, okay, am I still dreaming? Am I awake? What's going on? Kind of a thing. And it was like, it took me a second to just like kind of get back to reality. And I was like, okay, this is blood. Like, this is not good. And so I had taken my cell phone into the bathroom with me and I called my husband in bed from the bathroom and was like, I'm bleeding. We need to go to the hospital. And like, he moved so fast. Like he was like ready to go so fast. And we got in the car and I, on the way to the hospital, I called my, um, my doctor's office and the nurse practitioners I worked really closely with, um, as well. And I talked to one nurse practitioner and we're on the way. And she said, honestly, she's like, it could just be implantation bleeding. Like don't stress out, head back home, um, put your feet up, relax. And you know, if it's, she asked what color it was, I said, it was all, it was brown. It was, and I remember that and like feeling like she was like, okay, well, that's a good sign. Um, you know, it's not bright red, it's brown. Like that's probably going to be okay. So we went, we turned around, like we made it halfway to the hospital and turned around and came back home. And, um, I spent the whole day in bed. And, um, by the end of that evening, the bleeding had stopped and I was like, okay, maybe that was just implantation bleeding. It's going to be fine. Sunday came, there was no bleeding. Monday came, there was no bleeding. And then Tuesday all day, I was fine with no bleeding. And I got home from school and, and I knew that. So I ran to the room and it was like my heart stopped. It was like bright red and clotting. And it was, um, 
it was bad. So instead of rushing to the hospital this time, because I had learned from last time, like I need to call my doctor first. I called them and I spoke to a nurse who, um, it was just what I was saying. I wanted to be reassured. And the nurse I spoke to was not super reassuring. And, um, she was saying like, you know, you're, you just need to lay down and I want to prepare you for what it's probably going to happen. You're probably going to start. Like she was basically saying, I'm probably miscarrying. And, um, I was supposed to have my first ultrasound the next day on that Wednesday. And she said, if you start passing clots any bigger than, I don't know, like the size of a golf ball, like, you know, you need to go to the emergency room. And so it was kind of like, I don't know, like just sitting there, I just kind of knew it was happening, but like, I didn't want to let go of hope yet. And so, um, about a couple hours passed and I went to the bathroom and I had passed a really big, and so I just like told my husband, I said, I think we just need to go, um, we need to go to the emergency room because, you know, the doctor said to look out for these signs, this is what's happening. So we went and, um, we got to the emergency room and I remember walking up to the, um, receptionist desk and just saying like, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm bleeding and, you know, and it was like, it was really amazing how, um, kind they were. They set us up in kind of a private waiting room. Um, they had me, it was like, it's all kind of traumatic. Like they had me like have to go pee in a cup so they could like take blood levels. And when I went to the bathroom, it was like, I peed in it and it was like all red, like, cause there was like just blood. And, um, it was just like having to like take it to him and be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know if you're in it. This is going to be any good because there's blood in it and things. And, um, they got us back. And, and I remember like, I was really open with sharing all, all of our story. Um, so people knew that we were going through IVF and my parents, my parents knew that I was pregnant. And I remember like calling, like calling my parents to tell them like, we're in the emergency room. We're probably going to be losing lose the baby and all of that. And I remember like, just like feeling like I needed to apologize. And I remember like sitting on the uh, waiting room of the emergency room on the phone with like my parents just being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And of course they're like, don't be sorry. You have nothing to be sorry for. But it was like this, like, I didn't like, it was just like, I felt like I was doing something, like I had done something to cause it, which I know now was not the case, but it was just like an instant feeling of guilt, like this whole evening. Um, it was a really long night. They did an ultrasound. Um, of course, they can't tell you much. The ultrasound tech can't say anything. Um, the doctor came in and said, you know, we saw what we look for at this stage. Um, there, we didn't see a heartbeat, but that's not surprising because it's early. Um, and so, like, they sent us home. My, in the meantime, my doctors, we had been on the phone with my specialist, my um, fertility doctors, and they wanted me to still keep my appointment the next day to go in and look at everything. And so we went home that night and it was like, I don't think I slept at all. Like just anxious for the next appointment. And we went in and, um, it was, uh, um, they, they went in and we lay down and they put, they inserted the wand to do the ultrasound. And I remember looking at it and it, it was like an emotional roller coaster Cause it was like, we kept being like, it might be okay, but it might not be okay. So when she started looking, she goes, okay, this is what we want to see at this stage. Here's the, you know, the sack, here's, um, the, the fetal pole. And she's like, but I'm not seeing a heartbeat and we really want to see a heartbeat. And I was like, okay. And I remember like laying there, she goes, okay, hold your breath. And like holding my breath, just like praying, like, please see something. And of course they didn't see anything. And so we went back to the, um, the doctor's room and 
um, to talk about what we saw on the ultrasound. And she said, honestly, she said, it's not looking good. We're going to give you one more week to come back um, and see if there's something. But if we don't see a heartbeat next week and things haven't progressed, then it's probably not going to be a viable pregnancy. And so um, I remember we went home and it was the longest week of my life. Like it was just, it was awful. Like just being in a limbo, like, am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant? And in the meantime, like you have to do these shots, like they're the most miserable shots. Like you have to do progesterone shots every night. And it's like this big long needle and you have to stick it in your butt and it's like really uncomfortable and you get bruised, but you have to keep doing the shots and the bruises. So it was like that whole week, it was like, what's going on? And in the meantime, I'm like getting jabbed in the ass with a big needle. And it was like, it was terrible. Um, the next week we went in and again, we didn't see, um, a heartbeat and the pregnancy did not look like it had progressed. Like it didn't look like it was getting any bigger. And so we were told basically that the, um, pregnancy, I was miscarrying and, um, we went ahead and scheduled the DNC, um, because I hadn't, like, it was still there. Like I bled, but it was still, there were still things in there. And so I hadn't passed it on my own. Um, and they said, I might start bleeding more in the upcoming days before my DNC, but no matter what, we'd still have it just to make sure we got everything out. Um, and so I remember like going back and like, I, and how I had said that I had been blowing through my sick days. So I was still like working through this time. And, um, in this like week leading up to the DNC while I was waiting to miscarry, um, we had in my classroom, we do, um, plays and, um, every year. And we had parents coming into the classroom to watch these, their children perform in these little plays. And, um, I remember like it was the day of the plays and I, it was my lunch break. I went to the bathroom and of course there was blood. And so it was like, I had started to like bleed more. And I remember like, and cramp more. And I remember sitting, like, just thinking like, I can't go home. Like I have like all these parents coming into my classroom to watch a play. And I remember sitting in my room, like a classroom full of like parents watching their kids perform and stuff. And like sitting there just like knowing like what was going on in my body. It was really, really tough. Um, but I made it through and, um, may like took, uh, sick days for the next couple of days to get me through until the DNC. Cause I knew I couldn't go back to work, um, going through all that because it was really hard. And then we went to do our DNC and, um, that was a really, um, awful experience. Um, when we went, it was in this, and it's not the doctor's fault, but the waiting room was set up like it was so packed and there were like people for all different kinds of procedures. Like nobody, not everyone was there for the same thing. And so it was like my husband and I didn't even have anywhere to sit. We had to stand because there were no seats because it was so packed. And they finally called us back and um, we're sitting in the waiting room waiting and you have to get, they put you in the gown and you have to get naked and you can't like, you can't, I obviously I didn't have like anything like, so I'm sitting there like bleeding and it took forever for them to come in and get me to wheel me back. And I remember like the nurses who came in to get me, I don't, they didn't, I don't think they paid attention to what I was there for. And they came in and it was like, okay, we'll have you walk back with us. I stood up to go with them. And like, in the meantime, like I'm still bleeding and um, I'm standing there and they're taking forever, like going through, like they're talking to each other about something. And um, I used to remember I was standing there and like blood started dripping on the floor and I was so, oh, it was awful. I was like, um, I'm bleeding. Like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, oh my gosh, sorry. And they brought over a wheelchair 
and like, you know, let, let me sit down. And I remember like at that point, like just like crying, like I just tears, the tears wouldn't stop because it was like, just so like, it was obviously like a really sad time. It was like, I was sad. I was devastated. I was like, embarrassed and humiliated because I'm standing there bleeding all over the floor. Nobody's like paying attention to me. And, um, I remember they wheeled me into the room and, um, my doctor was standing there and just like, I just like couldn't, and I just cried. Like I just couldn't stop crying and laid on the bed. And I remember crying and then being asleep, like, because you know, they, like I couldn't stop and they, you know, put me under and they performed the, um, the procedure. And then I remember waking up and still crying. And like, um, I don't remember like the part, like before I really like came to, but my husband was like telling me after that, I had like all the nurses crying with me because I just kept like crying and saying like, I'm so sorry. Like, sorry, it was, um, tough to talk about. Um, but anyways, um, after we left the doctor's office after that, um, we went, we went home and. I just felt like before we went home, I felt like I just had to um, do something to honor this baby. And so we went and we decided we'd go and pick out some flowers. So we picked out some flowers. And when we came home, um, planted flowers. Um, and it was really cathartic. Like I felt like a lot better after we had done that. And like knowing that like the whole thing was like the whole like awful experience of like miscarrying was finally over. Like I just felt like not, I mean, I was still sad, but it was like, almost like I could breathe again. Um, and I just wanted to, um, you know, and I had had that little taste of pregnancy and being like, okay, almost had it. Like we were so close, like, let's do it again. We have one more embryo. Let's just jump right in and do it again. And, um, my husband was, was very supportive of that and he agreed. And so we did our third transfer in June of 2018 and I remember like being back in that room where they do the transfer. And I remember just like being really emotional. Like, I want this baby so bad. Like, please stay. Um, and a couple weeks later, it was right before I was supposed to go in for a blood test. I decided to take a pregnancy test. And again, it was positive. And so I just remember feeling so relieved. Like, yes, it worked. Like, we're going to have a baby, um, you know. I remember like being so naive and thinking like everybody, like not everybody, but a lot of people have a miscarriage and then they go on to have a baby. Like that was my miscarriage. Now I'm going to go on and I'm going to get my rainbow baby because that's the way that it works. And that was like kind of the way I thought, like I thought like, you know, it, people talk about like how common it is to get to have a miscarriage. And I just thought like, you know, here's my, this was mine. And now I'm going to, you know, go to the other side of it and get, you know, the next pregnancy is going to be healthy and I'm going to have this baby. And, um, that is not the way that it worked out. Um, I remember like, I felt really like, like afraid, like I kept saying, if we have this baby, if we have this baby. Um, and then I remember like, I, I went in for my beta and the number came back and I can't remember what it was specifically, but I remember that it was like on the low, it was it wasn't really low, but it was lower than I wanted. It wasn't as high as my first pregnancy's first beta. And so that kind of just left me feeling like, oh, I don't know about this. And then I remember like, it was a couple of days before I was supposed to go in for my second beta. And, um, I remember just feeling like this isn't right. Like something, there's just something not right. Like, I don't think this is going to work. 
And I can't even pinpoint what it was. I didn't bleed. I didn't have cramps. Like I just kind of knew. Um, and I got a phone call after my second beta and it was the nurse. And I just knew I was driving to pick up my husband from work. And she said, do you have a minute to talk? And I just knew, like, I was like, yeah. And she kind of like explained that my beta had gone down and that I was going to be miscarrying this baby. And I just remember like I pulled into the parking lot of my husband's work and I just like started sobbing. And like my husband came out to the car and like right away he just knew. And so we both sat in the car and like cried together. And um, I told him, you know, I don't know if I can do this again. Like this, this is too emotionally. It is really hard. Um, this was over, like we did the transfer. It was like the end of June. So it was like going into July. So like the 4th of July was coming up. And one of my sisters had found out right before we did that transfer that she was pregnant. And so I knew she was um, pregnant and it was really, a, it was hard because, um, you know, it was like we were supposed to have babies within similar time frames, and that was not how it was going to work out, obviously. And um, so, but it was like, I didn't want to be around anyone else who was like going through pregnancy at that point. And so I remember it was the 4th of July and I remember I like, we were supposed to go to my parents' house to celebrate and I couldn't do it. It was too hard. And I was like, I think I spent like a week in bed. Like I couldn't even get out of bed. I was so like just um, devastated because of the second time in a row. Um, and then um, my husband and I talked about it and um, I needed some time to like let my body like heal. IVF was really hard on me and the emotional toll was hard, but the physical toll was pretty hard too. And so we were going to take some time and, um, recover and get ourselves, um, in a good place again and save some more money because we had depleted a lot of our savings at this point. Um, so we started saving some more money and we were getting ready to do our next retrieval because we were out of embryos at this point. We were getting ready to do our next retrieval and, um, October of last year when um, unexpectedly someone that my husband and I are close to um, came to us um, letting us know that she was expecting and could not parent the child and wanted to know if my husband and I would um, adopt her baby. And um, it was like, everything stopped and it was a really like it was a really um it was an easy decision as in that we wanted a family so much and we wanted this baby so much but it was also a hard decision because we had to decide that we were going to stop trying because this meant that our savings were going to be turned around and go a different direction and um that we were going to have to um totally just rethink this route and um, we ultimately agreed and said, yes, this is what we want to do. And um, my son was born in May of this past year. Um, he is five and a half months old now, and he is my rainbow baby, <laughs> which is not, I know a lot of people think, have, you know, like, I don't think it's thought of as much in adoption, but I really wondered, like, you know, I haven't gotten my rainbow baby yet, and my my son who I'm going to be adopting, you know, is coming and this is my rainbow and I'm going to claim it. And he's, he's a rainbow for me at the end of a really, really long, crazy, hard storm. <laughs> and, um, it was really awesome. She birth mom was amazing. And I was able to be at like 
there every step of the way. I got to go to every doctor's appointment. Um, I got to be in the room when he was born and I was able to be the first one to hold him and do skin to skin and bond with him. And the whole experience was just super positive and amazing. And, um, you know, I, I look back on it now and as hard as everything was, I know that we would not have our son if it wasn't for everything else we went through. Like I know that, um, and if I wasn't open about what we were going through, that she would have never have known how much we wanted a family and, um, to think, to ask us. So it just like, you know, it really, um, the silver lining, I guess to the cloud. So, um, but yeah, so now we have our little baby and we have just started, um, the route of wondering if we're going to start trying again and kind of in the very beginning square one process of that, but that's kind of where we are now. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Yeah. It's so, crazy I'm sorry, how I the universe works. <laughs> yeah, no, but... <laughs> I mean, you have a lot, you have a lot to your story. Yes. It's a very abridged version. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Just like yeah. everything, I mean, played out and like you said, silver lining and just how the universe works. It's exactly. incredible. Yes. Um, so. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story. And if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? I think the biggest thing that I've learned out of all of this, well, two things. Number one is um, that you need to advocate for yourself when things don't seem right or doctors don't seem to be listening to you or, um, you know, you know your body and I just never be afraid to like speak up for your body and what's going on with your body and um, don't write things off either and don't feel like I'm being a baby or I shouldn't get things checked out or we shouldn't go look at these things. Like I like became so in tune with my body that like I've learned like these, like what I notice matters and I need to speak up for it. And the other thing is um, you don't know what's waiting. And I know it's really hard, but try so hard not to lose hope because um, you know, I had no, I could never have dreamed that we would have been, ended up in the situation that we ended up in and that our son would come to us in this way. Like I never could have dreamed that for myself. So just hang on to hope and be an advocate for yourself, I guess would be my advice. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if yeah. somebody wants to reach out, is Instagram the best way? Yes, it is pineapples, shots, and fuzzy socks. And that's because <laughs> those are all the things that, you know, if you're trying to conceive, like those are kind of the old wives tales. And so. I love that, it. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and then I also have it on Facebook under the same name. I have a Facebook page. Okay. So I'll go ahead and yeah. I'll link that in the description okay. of this episode. Reach out, you guys. I just love your story and I love Thank how you. just kind of how it all played out and the uniqueness of it. And it's just, yeah, it's so cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for yeah. letting me share. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And keep me posted on everything to come. Okay, I will. Thank you so much. You bet. Okay, let's talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Well, yeah, I didn't really you. interrupt. Like, I didn't really jump in all that often because I was like, I know she's, she's got to get it all out there. Oh, well, um, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was so good. You, there was like a little section where Wi-Fi must have been like funky and it started oh, to cut okay. out, but it wasn't bad. Like I still okay. think we got like the gist of it and everything. Okay. So, uh, awesome. But I just didn't want you to listen to it and be like, Oh, 
No, that's fine. (laughs) No, that's fine. (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. right. Well, thank you. And again, keep me posted. I'm going to jump on another episode, but I really appreciate you. Oh, and your episode will launch in in like two weeks. And then if you could just send me a photo that you'd like me to use, that would be great. Sure. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you. All right. And I'll I'll tag you and whatnot and I'll keep you posted on like your downloads and stuff because I always think that that's kind of fun to hear like how many people have listened so yeah well thank you so much you're amazing I appreciate it well thank you that means a lot all right we'll talk soon okay bye bye thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories tag myself tag my guest so that we can personally thank you this is a lamb fam you guys we're not in this alone we're creating this ripple effect together